Hey, it's Christy. Welcome to Do The Work. Today and every day, we'll talk about things that really matter. You, your thoughts, your feelings, your experiences. We'll discuss what emotional work looks, sounds, and feels like in our day-to-day lives. Relationships are what matter most, and they can be complicated. If you'd like a better connection with yourself, with others, and with your God, you are in the right place. So glad you're here. Welcome back to Do The Work. I'm here today with Richard Heaps, and I'm very grateful that you're here, Richard. Richard is a friend and a neighbor of mine and also does so many other things that I actually had no idea until I read your your bio. So I'm going to introduce you um, with just part of what you sent me of the accomplishments that you've had in your life. Dr. Richard Heaps is married to Joyce, his sweetheart of 59 years. Together, they have four children, 16 grandchildren, and nine great-grandchildren. Dr. Heaps is a licensed and board-certified clinical psychologist in Utah and an emeritus professor at the Brigham Young University Counseling Center and Doctoral Counseling Psychology Department. He is a past president of the Utah Psychological Association and currently serves on the Disaster Response Network Advisory Committee for the American Psychological Association, representing 13 Western states. He also is the chair of the Utah Disaster Response Network, disaster mental health manager and instructor for the American National Red Cross, and a mental health volunteer for our Utah Critical Incident Stress Management team, which provides support to public safety emergency responders who've experienced tragic incidents and fatalities in their line of duty. Dr. Heap's local and national disaster service has taken him to sites of floods, hurricanes, tornadoes, tropical storms, earthquakes, residential fires, wildfires, avalanches, mudslides, highway chemical spills, missing person searches, bomb threats, shootings, and terrorist attacks in multiple states, including Ground Zero at the World Trade Center in Manhattan, immediately following the tragedies of September 11th, 2001. You know, as I read that, Richard, my brain, and and it's been like this as long as I can remember. I was driving to Colorado with some friends the other day, and one the, the husband of one of my friends was driving, and he said, oh, this is where they had this fire and they lost like 13 or 19 firefighters. Oh, that's so tragic. And my brain will almost immediately go to, I wonder how they're working through that trauma. Those who saw their their friends and their brothers go or sisters go down in that fire. And I love knowing that you, this is something that you do. I, I had no idea that you're helping those individuals. So... That's beautiful. Thank you. I feel really grateful that you're here today, Richard. Thank you for coming. I'm pleased that you asked me. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here. If I've come to know anything in my life and in my career as a life coach, it is this, that the effects of trauma are real. They're very real. I've heard it described as big T trauma, like those that you mentioned, that, that, that whole list of big experiences above. And then there's trauma that at times we don't even recognize that we're going through. That might be the emotional neglect of a parent or a spouse or abuse of some kind, extreme conditions at a workplace or just intense situations in personal relationships. But life has a way of exposing our pain. And so often when it does, we have no idea what to do with that pain. So we try different strategies. We try to blame others, but we don't feel better. We try to run from the pain with drugs and alcohol, sex, work, whatever, but we don't feel better. 
We try to avoid our pain by stuffing our feelings down, but we don't feel better. Trauma has a way of making itself known, even if we don't know what it is that we're experiencing. So I wanted to chat today, Richard, to just give language to so many individuals' personal experiences. We'll often think to ourselves, well, I can't really complain because my house didn't burn down or I didn't see my friends, you know, die in a fire yeah. or I, my house didn't slide away in the mudslide or, you know, there hasn't been an earthquake or I haven't been severely abused or been in a concentration camp. Right. But the truth is, it's not helpful to compare trauma. It's just helpful to be mindful of our life experiences that affect us in ways that will cause us to disconnect from ourselves, from others, and from God, which will bring immense pain to us and those that we love. That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about trauma and especially your experience at Ground Zero. Okay. I'm hoping that those who are listening won't sit there and think, yeah, that's terrible. I hope they'll have empathy for the experiences that you share. But I'm really hoping that they'll learn skills and tools as well as myself to love someone who's been through trauma, whether they speak of it or not, and also tools for those who think, wow, I might have some things to work through because I'm showing up in different ways that aren't helpful. So thank you again. So will you just tell us, Richard, how would you describe trauma and what would a trauma response look like, sound like, feel like? Well, there, there is no one trauma that we can define because it's so individual mm-hmm. for different people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you listed some large and some very small yeah. traumas. Um, small traumas aren't necessarily not impactful. Oh, yeah. What I find is that uh, trauma is anything that's painful, hurtful, uh, could be fearful, yeah. it causes us pain. Part of the problem is most people tend to think that the, an event or a circumstance that they're in causes them to feel or not feel in certain ways. Mm-hmm. The reality is it's not so much the event that causes that, it's our beliefs about it. It's our thinking about it, mm. how we think about the event and about ourselves in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've seen people in tornadoes who survive the tornado and they're devastated because a friend who they think is a wonderful person yeah. either lost their life or lost all of their goods yeah. and they themselves feel like a reprobate and they feel guilty. So it's it's not just anxiety or fear that results from trauma. Sometimes it's guilt, uh, a survivor guilt, if you will. Yeah. So you're saying it's not necessarily the tornado that caused the trauma, though there is there are things to feel around oh, that, right? Certainly. But that so much of their pain is coming from how they think about exactly. that experience instead exactly. of, yeah, yes. Trauma really typically results in a number of common experiences. Mm-hmm. One of the first experiences is often either some kind of emotional response, either anxiety, some kind of emotional outcry, fear, anger, uh, or avoidance. And you described that a little earlier, yeah. not wanting to think about it, not wanting to talk about it. 
Uh, if somebody asks them a question, I don't want to think about that. Yes. Or no, if if you're asked, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Yeah. That's the typical response. Yes. So either some kind of emotional response or some kind of an avo- what I call an avoidant response are common features of a reaction to trauma or hurtful events. If one stays with those a little bit and allows themselves to think about it, they will start to have some kind of intrusive reactions, unwanted thoughts, images, dreams, nightmares, whatever, that they don't like. If they don't like those and they want to avoid them, they go back to a kind of avoidant response, which kind of exacerbates the problem. Yeah. But if they allow themselves to think about what they're experiencing, their intrusive experience, yeah. and reflect on it, and as we said, rethink in some more positive ways. Uh, for example, I survived. I don't have to feel guilty. Yeah. It's, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Uh, they rethink it, and then they can move on to a little more healthy coping. Um, at ground zero... Uh, one of the women that I talked with, um, and I was at the pile at Ground Zero, one of the women I talked with owned some apartments which had a, a little cafe or restaurant uh, attached to it at the bottom. Mm. And when things happened, she really didn't realize what had happened, didn't know, mm. opened the front door, looked out, oh. and there was the dust cloud coming she hadn't seen anything except the dust cloud she slammed the door got as many people in her apartments as she could to go out the back way so that there would be a building in between the dust cloud and her and uh, she felt guilty because there was no horror for her (sighs) you know that other people had experienced a horrific uh, event and she felt guilty, so she, there was trauma for her yeah. in not experiencing the trauma, if you will. Yes. And she felt guilty, and so we had to kind of challenge her thinking a little bit. And after a while, she realized that she was kind of a hero to those people. <laughs> it, it changed her whole thinking. Yes. You know, as you share that, I think the power, the power that our mind has mm-hmm. to... And I think sometimes we go to that that guilty space because we don't want to feel. We, so we just kind of land in the space like I should have done something different or I shouldn't have. Instead of feeling through the experience like, oh, my gosh, I was just at the bottom of this building that just came down or yeah. a plane just flew through. And just feeling that feeling is scary. Sometimes I'll say to myself often pain is a feeling I'm willing to feel. Because if I'm not willing to feel pain, I'm going to move into some well, of those other behaviors. It's a little bit like if I were to ask you to not think about a pink elephant. Yeah, that was sitting in the middle of the room. What, what no. is what? Where does your mind go? I'm going right to the pink elephant. That's exactly right. <laughs> and when we try to avoid um, thinking about or feeling our experiences, yes. um, they tend to resurface in ways that we don't like. Um, I can I can think of uh, a detective, uh, for example, when I when I do uh, defusings or debriefings for 
police or fire that have responded to fatalities, we described the normal process of response to trauma, how you deal with it, and how you can um, come out of that with some healthy kind of coping skills. And he said, at the end of our experience together, he says, wait a minute, you mean for 20 years I've been stuffing all of these events thinking that the only way to get through them was to be tough. He says, I've lost a marriage. I've lost children because of that. He says, I didn't have to experience that. (laughs) And so he he learned a little late, but he learned. Oh, that's so tender to me because our unwillingness to feel affects so many people. Oh, it does. And not just feel, but to work through it, to be humble enough to say something's hurting or I'm stuffing or, you know, I'm I'm separating myself in one way or another. And so many people are, we think it's just ourselves, right? Like, oh, I'm, you know, this is my issue. I don't have to deal with it. That's right. So many people are affected by it. Yeah. In therapy, I've dealt with a number of people who've been abused as children, for example, in one way or another. And uh, as we go through various steps of kind of understanding what they experienced and challenging their unhealthy thinking, trying to reestablish some more healthy thinking and hence more healthy coping, they start to realize, wait a minute, I've been viewing everybody as my perpetrator. Uh, You know, my dad did this to me. And so all men now, to me, are awful. And and I guess maybe they're not. They start to realize that they've been generalizing from their trauma. Yes. um, And and challenging that becomes important. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Thank you for sharing that. That's really so helpful. (laughs) And here's the thing. You can't convince someone to go there. You, no. you know, you, <laughs> there's no convincing, right? No, no, you can't. You can't make them. Uh, in fact, most people will resist. Yeah. If if you say you've got to think about that, mm-hmm. they'll say no, no, I don't. You can't make me think about that. Uh, it hurts too much, or I don't want to think about that. Yeah. Um, so you you have to start in some pretty simple. Some very safe, safe ways. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, in uh, at the Ground Zero, mm-hmm. I would often walk up to people at the pile, rescue workers. They were calling them rescue workers at the time because yeah. I was there immediately after it happened. And uh, I would just say, would you like a bottle of water or a uh, something to suck on? Because the pile was so hot and they were so dry in their throats and they'd say oh yes thank you and then i'd say it's you know just simple obvious things it's really hot in there for you isn't it yeah it really is and then i'd ask them what has been your experience what are you doing and they would describe what they're doing and if i would ask well what can we do to help you what would be the response I don't need any help. I'm okay. It's those people mm-hmm. that that need help. And so I would try to turn it a little bit and say, well, wait a minute. Let me ask you a question. How is your family doing? And they would describe frequently, well, my kids, 
won't sleep in their own rooms or in their own beds. Uh, they're fearful of what's going to happen. So they're always in my wife's bed or my husband's bed. Mm-hmm. And I say, okay, now maybe we can talk about things that you can do to help them. Mm. But in order to help them, maybe you need to help yourself first. It's, it's a little like in an airplane when the oxygen mask comes down, they say to put it on yourself first so that you're able to help. And so I'd say, well, what can we do for you so that you can help your family? And that would turn it for them. And they'd say, oh, well, let's talk a little bit. Yes. Oh, you know, just I'm visualizing that. And it's so interesting because most humans, I believe humans, most humans are just good in their heart. There's just goodness in them. And they would do anything if they're not, if they haven't, again, generally speaking, we would want to help our children or we would want to help our neighbor or, and, and, and we're quick to that rescue, but to, but to stop and say, I actually, I can't sleep either at night or I'm sleeping all the time Uh or I don't want to go home because I don't want to address these issues. I don't know how to help them. I don't know what to do with that. It just requires a humility. And I love what you said, a safe space, not someone to be like, Hey, your life's yeah, get over here. You got to talk about this. It has to be a space of. Uh, And and what you're saying, uh, sometimes people just rush in too quickly Mm. trying to help in the way that they think is what's needed. Mm -hmm. For example, at ground zero of the world trade center, the Mm. communications workers we're trying to reestablish communication lines mm-hmm. uh, underground and uh, in buildings that were adjacent and up on top of adjacent buildings. And uh, one, one morning I saw one of those communication workers just frantically going around from person to person at ground zero saying, and, and, and just fr- being frantic and being tur- kind of turned away. Mm-hmm. And so I said, to myself, something's going on here, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, I walked up to him and I said, you seem to be wanting something. Can you tell me what it is? And he says, yes, I need to know how, how to get to the armory. Now, I could have just told him, this is how you get to the armory. Yeah. But I said instead, something about the armory is important to you. Can you tell me what that is? Oh, so good. And he says, well... Um, uh, several days ago, I was over at the armory and that's where they had a comfort area and they had all of these walls with photos of people that were lost and family was saying, if you see this person, please let us know. Mm. And he says, I was particularly drawn to one photo of an individual and I kept coming back to it and I didn't know why. And he said, but this morning I was up on top of the building and I found this um, pant leg with a wallet in the pocket. And I pulled out the wallet, opened it up, and it was the same photo. <sighs> he says, I need to get back to the armory so I can find out his family's information so I can tell them I've found something of their loved one. <sighs> and I said, I can help you with that. I can get you over there if you'd like some help getting there. And he did. So we had him go over to Pier 94 where he could find how to get a hold of those people. 
But sometimes, you know, people were thinking, oh, I just need to tell him how to get to the armory. Yes. But he was frantic. There was something <laughs> emotional in his searching. And so rather than just tell him that, I asked the question, something seems important about the armory. Can you tell me what it is? To be heard is to heal. True. And you're a trained professional at hearing. But I think we can all learn how to hear. And just the difference of, oh, it's over there. Or, yeah, let me fix the problem instead of, can I see you? Well, yeah, sometimes we're too quick. There's another experience at Ground Zero. The police and uh, military who were at the barricade, the last barricade before going into the pile, uh, would keep visitors out and onlookers, etc. But they knew who I was because I spent regular time talking with them as well about their own experience. And so they knew what I did. And one time there was a particular family that came to the barricade and uh, the police person came over to me and said, this family wants to be here to see their brother when he comes out of the pile. Would you be willing to talk with them? And I said, certainly. Can they come inside the barricade? And they allowed them. They, It was a um, couple of women and a, and a brother uh, of this person. They came over and I said, I understand you want to be here so that you can see your uh, brother when he comes out of the pile so that he knows you're here for him. You know, I could have just said, it's over. He's not coming. He's not coming. <laughs> Instead, I, I acknowledged what they wanted. And they said, yes. I said, well, I'd be happy to let you. And I said, let's step around here. So there's a big Red Cross IRV or emergency relief vehicle. I said, let's step around here because all of these uh, news people are taking photos and trying to get, uh, let's get you away from them. Why don't you just stay here? I'll step back a couple steps. You, you stay here and watch. And uh, if your brother comes out, you know, you can say it. So they stayed there. They watched for a while. And then one of the women came back to me, stepped back and said, has that smoke always been there? And I said, yes, it has. She says, oh, it's really hot in there, isn't it? And I gave her some estimate of the, how hot it was. And then she looked down and said, he's not coming <laughs> out alive, is he? And I said, no the chances are not good. And so she went back to her family. They hugged each other and uh, and just sobbed and, and hugged each other. And then she stepped back and she said, here's a photo of my brother who was on the 105th floor um, and his son that was born just six weeks ago. And she turned it over and she wrote her, her brother's name, his birth date, and his death date on September 11, and wrote the birth date of the boy and his name and said, here, I'd like you to have this photo. Would you take this back with you to Utah and tell people thank you for letting you be here? (laughs) I'm a wreck. (laughs) I am a total wreck. (laughs) I can can be there and enjoy you. You know, we're talking about individuals here. We're talking about 
people with hearts and hopes and dreams and expectations. And trauma comes in and just throws you off your feet. It's like you don't even remember how to stand up again. And your, your willingness, your willingness to say, oh, come right over here and stand. And then... And it's just like let them be with heart. what they were experiencing. Yes. yes. And, oh, Richard, thank you for sharing that. I'm I'm wondering, again, we don't have a nine, well, you know, most of us were that close to terrorist attacks and the death and just the terror of that experience. But we have other experiences in our life, again, that are, oh, yeah. that are, traumatic for a child the death of a parent or a sibling or a divorce or even sometimes a move right it can feel so traumatic well there's there's a whole system of thought that talks about how life change can add stress even positive changes can add stress but you talk about other areas um i'm thinking right now about uh moore oklahoma where I responded to tornado uh, yeah. more as as a name that a lot of people are familiar with, mm. because Oklahoma gets a lot of uh, tornadoes, and I was at a, uh, a Red Cross service center where people went to get assistance. Yes, and uh, again we would talk with all of the caseworkers and let them know what we were doing, and I would talk about their own experiences. And one day, one of the caseworkers stood up and motioned to me and said, Rich, come on over, uh, please. And so I walked over, and she pointed to the woman sitting beside her and says, I need you to help this woman. She cannot remember the names of her children, and I can't give her all of the assistance she could get if I don't get that information. So I sat down and just... uh, introduced myself in those circumstances i introduced myself as dr heaps i want to get a little credibility with someone like that yeah i can help you because Mm -hmm. they're there for official help um so i said hi i'm dr heaps Uh, i understand you can't remember the names of your children Uh, i said we can come back to that but first of all can you tell me what your experience was in the tornado getting her to tell her story. You bet. Um, and she says, yeah, I can tell you that. She says it was a, it was a kind of a lazy afternoon, and, and we were, I was lying on the sofa and the kids were playing, and all of a sudden everything started getting dark and dark green and a s- terrible noise. And so I opened the door on my house, and I saw... This awful tornado, it ended up being like a mile and a half wide. Oh my it, was, it was horrific. Um, she says, I saw that. So I slammed the door, went inside, grabbed all of my kids. We went inside of a closet, closed the door, and all of a sudden the whole house is shaking with a violent noise and shaking and shaking. And all of a sudden the door flew open and flew off the hinges And one of my young daughters was starting to be pulled away from our group. We were holding each other. So I grabbed a hold of her arm as she was being lifted into the air. I'm holding on to her and holding on and holding on and holding on. And my arms are getting so tired 
And then all of a sudden it passes and she falls to the ground. And I was relieved. And she says, then we walked out and the whole house, except for the room, the closet we were in and a bathroom mirror were all destroyed. And I looked at that bathroom mirror and she says, it didn't have a scratch on it. And then all of a sudden, oh, I remember the names of my children now. And she named each of her five children, their birth dates, and who each of their fathers were. Kind of interesting. <laughs> that's some, it sounds like there were some things to remember there <laughs> that's, for her. That's right. That's yeah. right. But telling the story, going back, kind of opened things up for her. And she was then able to remember and, and get the assistance that she needed. And so we talked a little bit about what she had experienced, why the kind of an avoidant numbing, uh, and how telling the story a little bit under a safe condition yeah. allowed her to rethink things and remember things. And then we talked about what she needed to do from then on for her and for her children to help deal with the uh, the trauma, the the impact of the trauma. Oh my word! So, I I that that is an amazing story. By the way, that that I can't even imagine. Yeah, I can't even imagine that. As you say that, I think it, I'm thinking again of someone who may have trauma in their life. Mm-hmm. Their their fear of talking about it generally comes from I don't like that was so painful for yeah. me. I don't want to feel that ever again. I, that's just something I don't want to feel. Well, that's one problem you have to watch out for, because sometimes telling the story again can re-traumatize people. And that's their fear. Yeah. It'll 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 hurt me all over again. Yes. And so when we would talk with uh, people who'd been abused earlier mm-hmm. and they're starting to tell their story, they're really fearful yeah. about telling that story because it's so painful. Yes. But you ha- you can't stop at the story. If you stop at the story, then all they've done is re-experience the trauma. Right. You have to talk about what they started to believe about themselves and other people because of the story and how that is what's posing some of the problem and then how you start to change that thinking to a more healthy kind of thinking to move beyond the story. You can't, you can't ever erase that it happened because it, it, it did, but you can uh, influence how they're thinking about it and it's in, and the impact of their thinking on themselves. Yes. To move toward a little more healthy coping. Thank you, thank you, thank you. By the way, for that, when you said you can't ever erase the 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 experience, I do think some people don't want to talk about it because, mm-hmm. in some way, they believe their pain will be minimized. That that somehow, like if I work through this, then that makes what was back here okay. Yeah. And it doesn't. And it's not okay. The, the problem with avoiding rethinking and avoiding uh, the nature of the problem is that that also avoids healing. Yeah. Uh, and so you need to help people to understand that they need to move past just the memory and the remembering, etc., to those other healthy things that I described. Yes. A lot of people are, are just absolutely terrified of reliving or rethinking the experience and if you stop there 
they're justified in that terror. No doubt. No doubt. And and maybe they've never had a safe place to share anyway. Exactly. And so the belief that I could I really be safe with you? Exactly. Like you're not gonna judge me, you're not gonna tell me I was stupid or all the things that we make up in our head. Yeah. Well it's hard to find people who don't do some of that. Um, most people want to just get in and help and and so they'll what what, what will they say? Oh, you don't need to think that way. Oh, you don't need to feel that. Well, wait a minute. Yeah. (laughs) I am feeling that. Yes. I do feel that. Yes. Oh, that's so good. Okay. So, Richard, you mentioned that what you did, you would go in and you'd get curious, you'd um, just validate their experience. You'd let them sit in that space for a while, which was so beautiful. But what tools would you give to someone who just saw their office building fall to the ground? Or, you know, my brother actually lived in New York when mm-hmm. the planes, and he sat in his office and watched that second plane go through that second building. And that's traumatic. Absolutely. <laughs> that's that's painful. What what tools would you give to someone who has been through a traumatic experience? So we we've heard what you do, but what tools would you give them? You've you've said, okay, notice your thinking. What else would you say to them? Well, um, that becomes really important. Very. They need to be able to be willing to remember. And I would help people. I would actually draw out and so people can visualize uh, kind of an ABC approach. Hmm. A being the activating event, C being the consequent feelings, hmm. B being the belief or thinking about the event. And I'd try to help them to see that the event isn't what causes the feelings, it's how they're thinking about it. The event certainly is bad and it was painful. horrific and painful and and did damage, et cetera, and killed people. But it's their thinking about it that keeps it painful and horrific for them. And in order to change that, they need to somehow D, A, B, C, D, there's a mnemonic device, mm-hmm. D, they need to dispute their thinking. And frequently I will tell people, look, I would make a little stop sign hmm. and, and actually draw out a stop sign and cut it out and, and say, hold this up. And some, uh, I found some people would paste these onto the mirror in their bathroom or on the door, leaving their uh, house or apartment. Or on their forehead as a suggestion <laughs> or, or as well. Car- yeah. uh, or carry it in a pocket. Yeah. And I'd say, when you find yourself feeling in a particular way that you don't like, pull that out or look at the stop sign and say to yourself, stop. Stop what? my thinking that's hurting me. Mm. Okay, then go. What do you need to do to change that? I need to shift my thinking Mm. about that. Mm. Um, That seems to help some people. Uh, Other people, it's it's not something that they can do on their own. And they may need assistance. I was going to say, if they've never been heard, if no one ever said, tell me your story, uh-huh. to just say to someone, okay, now you got to f- work through your thinking. This is going to, you know, it would be, it would be almost traumatizing again. Yeah. Like, what do you mean I need to think through my thinking? I just yeah. lost this person I love the most, or I just 
because they think that's the end. That's what you, that's, they think that's the uh, problem solving. They think that's the therapy, if you will. Yes. But that's not, it, that's what gets it started. Mm. And then what's after that? All of what you do to help them rethink and challenge, challenge and rethink and change behaviors as a result. And it's work, isn't it? Oh, it's a lot of work. Uh, it's it's not a one-time or one-stop shop, if it, you will. I, I'm curious. I see this in coaching. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it's like multiplied in therapy. I'll have clients come once, twice, three times, four times, and they're like, this is the greatest thing I've ever, like, thank you. And then it's an invitation to keep doing the work to now address uh-huh. some of the fears, some of the pain that's right. in their life. And they don't want to come back. They're, they're like, oh, now I have to keep doing that work. Uh-huh. I have to keep sharing or, you know, I have to go have hard conversations or I need to whatever, you know, the to to, to walk, to, to regain your power is really how I say it. it, it it's hard work. It's hard. I think it's the hardest work we'll ever do because when we go to the gym, we can start to see the muscle. I there was probably so I was at a I was doing a presentation the other day and I asked a question and one of the women in the presentation is like, I've been going to the gym and she literally started flexing. And <laughs> like, oh, I can see it. I can see that you've been going to the gym. But emotionally, there's not a marker for us to say like, oh, this is happening. Other it, than it's hard to see the the brain flexed. That's <laughs> exactly right. It's hard to see the brain flexed. Oh, that's good. Okay. Are there any other stories that you think would be helpful? I can recall at a a flood in uh, uh, Georgia, Mm -hmm. I was at a shelter. Well, in fact, I was at multiple shelters because we didn't have enough Red Cross. I volunteered with the Red Cross (laughs) as a disaster mental health volunteer. And there weren't enough mental health people for all the shelters because there were like 33,000 people put out of their homes. And so I would go from shelter to shelter and talk with the uh, administrators over the shelter, talk with people in the shelter. And one time I got a call from shelter manager saying, can you come? We've got a woman who's been lying here for three days on her cot. Nobody has seen her get up. We're worried about her. So I walked over to that shelter, walked inside and met with the administrator and uh, the shelter manager, looked inside the shelter, and I could immediately see who he was talking about. There was, everybody was up and around and moving, and there was this one person lying on a cot. So I walked over to the cot, kneeled down, got at her eye level. (laughs) You don't like to stand over. Got down, kneeled at her eye level, and said, Hi, I'm Dr. Heaps. Um, the shelter manager asked me to come and see how you were doing. And it occurs to me that this is not a good place for us to talk. Look at all the people around here. Would you be able to get up at all and with me and move to a safer place to talk? She looked around and she says, okay. So she kind of sat up and I said, would you like some help? And she says, yeah. So I helped her up. We started walking and just just chit-chat as we're walking through the shelter. And I said, this is not a good place for us to talk. She wasn't quite oriented yet. Yeah. So I'm trying to get her oriented. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're just chit-chatting about odds and ends and get out into the hallway. And I said, this is still not a good place. Let's, let's keep walking until we got to a place where she seemed to be 
talking okay. And I said, this looks like a good place. Let's sit down and just talk. I says, I don't know what happened. You've been lying here for three days in a cot. I don't know what happened to you in the flood. Would you mind telling me your story? What happened to you? And she said, I can do that. So she said, it was a wonderful afternoon, was sitting there, and all of a sudden somebody's coming down the street with a bullhorn saying, you've got to evacuate, you've got to evacuate, the flood's coming. So I got out, closed the, my, my house door, walked down, and here all of the houses were up, and you walked down to the street mm-hmm. for obvious reasons, flooding. Mm-hmm. Uh, she says, I walked down to the street, and I walked to safety in water that was up to my ankles. And I got out to the safe place where they were having us all congregate, and a voice came to my head and said, what about your neighbors? Mm -hmm. And she said, oh, no, 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 they're fine. Mm -hmm. The voice came again, what about your neighbors? No, they're fine. A third time the voice came in her head, and she says, what about your neighbors? And then she said, oh, okay, I'll go check. So she walked back to the house next to her, knocked on the door, the door opened, and there was an elderly couple holding each other in fear. Oh. And she says, how come you didn't go out when they asked you to evacuate? We were afraid, they said. She says, well, I'll help you. So she took the woman, and she helped her down the steps, down to the street, and they walked out to safety in water up to their hips. Got her out, went back and got the, uh, the elderly husband, walked down and out, on the street, walked to safety and water up to their shoulders. And she looked back and there was water up at the top of the steps to her house. And that's the last thing she saw. And I said to her, wow, you were a hero to those people, that couple. And she looked up and she smiled and she says, I never thought about that. Mm -hmm. I guess I was. Mm -hmm. And she smiled. And I says, now, how can we get you to be a hero to yourself? And she said, well, and I said, what's the one thing that you would most like? And she said, I'd love to see whether the water went into my house or not. So I says, I'll help you with that. And I arranged for a Red Cross worker to get her into a little boat and they rowed out. And I had to go to another shelter because of a suicide threat. Um, And so the next morning... I went back and and looked, and I says, where is, what's her name? And they said, well, she came back from looking at her house and was all cheerful and got a hold of an aunt, and the aunt came to pick her up this morning. She, she cleaned up, she ate breakfast, picked up all of her stuff, and she went with this aunt. Wow. You don't know, simple things can, can really be helpful. Thank you for sharing those experiences. I'm touched, first of all, but I also hope that those that are listening to the podcast, that they'll stop, they'll learn from what you, what you did, right? That was, that. Oh. those are, those are ways that we can show up in everyday experiences. Yeah. You know, I've come to understand that if it's, if it's hysterical, it's historical, so yeah. when we show up big and upset and angry, we can probably know there's something inside of us that needs to be cared for or loved or seen. Yeah. And 
some people, we have no idea that they have trauma. Some people don't know that they've been through trauma. They've turned it off. They don't address it. Is that true as well? It's true. Yeah. It's true. It's, that's the avoidance. Yes. And it's, it's very helpful often not just to say, how are you doing? Yes. But ask a little bit about their experience. Yeah. What was going on in their life? Yes. Um, get them to talk a little bit. Let them feel comfortable. And often the conversation will turn to things that are important. That's beautiful. Thank you, Richard, for coming and for sharing. And thank you for all the good that you have done to help one person at a time in their life. Well, thank you. At the end of my podcast, I like to ask the per- the guest or whoever if there's one thing that you could say to someone. Maybe you just said it. Maybe it's create a space where they'll be yeah. free to share. I think so. So think about your your relationships today. Think about your experiences. Are you in a place where you can create a safe space for those that you love? I've also come to know, Richard, that if we don't work through our own experiences, mm-hmm. it's quite hard to sit with someone else in theirs. True. Because there's all kinds of stuff to hold in there. Our own things will emerge yes. and influence what we do. Yes. Thank you. I want to say thank you so much to everyone at 98 Studios for all that they're doing to help this podcast be successful. I'm so grateful for them. And now you will have many choices in your day and in your week. I hope you'll choose to do the work. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, share a written experience or ask me a question, go to coachchristy.life and fill out the podcast questionnaire and we'll be in touch with you soon. There are no dumb questions or experiences, just opportunities to learn and do the work. Have a great week.